Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where Here's Frank, Scott, Chris, and Adam. What is up, everybody? Welcome into Fantasy Baseball today on Tuesday, November 23rd. Frank Stample here as always. Scott White is off this week, enjoying some well-deserved time off with his family. So I started thinking, this is our only podcast this week. No, Scott. I had to go big. If you play fantasy baseball and don't know today's guest, it's time to get out from underneath that rock that you're living under right now. Somebody that I'm a big fan of, been listening to for years. You've read his work on Fangrass. You've listened to him on the Sleeper in the Bus podcast. Welcome in, Paul Spore. What is going on, man? Nice to uh, virtually meet. Frank, it's great to virtually meet you, man. Thank you for that intro. That's awesome. I really appreciate it. I appreciate you listening. Uh, I can say the same right back. Been enjoying the show quite a bit. Uh, so great to be on. Thank you. Yes, if we're talking beforehand, I mentioned, look, I've been listening to you since uh, the days when Eno Saris was on the podcast. Love what you're doing with Justin. Uh, I know Colette hops on there every now and then, too. So a mm-hmm. uh, really big fan of your work there. Happy to have you on the podcast. Of course, everyone can follow Paul over on Twitter at Sporer. That's, I, you know, whenever I say your name, I feel like I'm not like pronouncing the last no. part of it. It's like Sporer, Sporer, Sporer. Yeah, You follow him on Twitter at S-P-O-R-E-R. Uh, today on the podcast, we've got some news. We'll talk about the latest news items. Uh, we now have 13 NFBC drafts in the books, and uh, it's time for some way-too-early ADP takeaways. We've got a few ADP battles as well. Uh, we'll talk a little Thanksgiving. It's Thanksgiving week. We've got some, I've got some dishes I want to talk about. We'll do a little turkey versus ham, some side dishes, pies, get to all that. Uh, and, of course, if you follow Paul, then you know he's big on Twitch. This guy's a big deal. It plays MLB The Show, plays OOTP, the guy streaming on Twitch. I just got MLB The Show this year, first time. It came over to Xbox. I have an Xbox. I suck. So I need <laughs> Paul to help me out. Uh, and anyone else is listening who plays. I know I've had a few people reach out to me saying that they also play uh, MLB The Show. So hopefully he can help all of us. Maybe you don't need the help. I, I, I definitely do. But uh, we will get into that a little bit later on. Let's just start with some news and notes. Uh, we had a re-signing. Anthony DeScofani back to the San Francisco Giants on a three-year, $36 million deal this past year. Finally gets out of Cincinnati and has a really strong season. If you looked at his splits going into 2021, he was great outside of Great American Ballpark. So we kind of thought, all right, well, maybe there is some sleeper appeal here. Uh, turns out to have a really good season. 317 ERA, 109 whip, 16% K minus walk rate, the second best of his career, uh, 11% swinging strike rate, the best of his career. ADP right now, 232, just ahead of names like Tristan McKenzie, Casey Mize, Aaron Savale. Uh, Spore, what do you think about, do you want me to call you Sp- uh, Paul or Spore? What, what do you prefer? Either one. People right. call me Spore all I, I, the time. It really doesn't bother me. I think I'm going to change that. I'll, I'll go back and forth. Um, but what do you think about this for Anthony Descalfani going back to the Giants and this ADP range that he's around right now? Does it make sense? 
Yeah, I think both are, are a great fit. I think uh, the Giants re-signing him is a perfect fit. It's, I love when like the narrative comes together, right? You kind of paint the obvious narrative of, well, get him out of that ballpark and get him in a place that maybe can uh, mitigate the home run rate a bit, and maybe we'll have something. And that's exactly what happened. He goes to a park that is much better for him. And frankly, you could have massaged this ERA down quite a bit more if you wanted to play it cautiously with him and not play him against the Dodgers, his two worst starts of the year were against the Dodgers, two and two thirds in both of them, 10 and four earned runs. And I'm, I'm going to guess that there's somebody out there, at least in a mixed league format that played it just like that. And they played it perfectly. Now they would have missed a couple of decent ones at the Dodgers, five innings, three runs, six strikeouts, four and two thirds, two runs. That doesn't really hurt you. But if you just played it straight up, no Dodgers, You'd, you'd have massaged a, a sub-3 ERA for sure from Anthony Descafani. And I don't see any reason that he can't continue to be this kind of guy in San Francisco as long as he stays healthy. That's the biggest factor. Uh, but you, you, I think that's built into the price, so you don't really have to count that against him. That's why he's so cheap. Yeah, and he doesn't have to be a must-start pitcher, too, at that ADP, right? So exactly like you just said, you play him in the right matchups. Don't play him against the Dodgers, most likely. Don't play him at Coors Field. Although, and just be convicted to it. Like yeah. he, even if he has, if if you if you're gonna do it, just commit to it. He might have a great start against the Dodgers. He'd be like, darn, that would have been nice to have. But if you just commit to it, uh, I think it can pay dividends. If that's the way you like to play, if you like a guy that you don't have to sit. Uh, then maybe don't get him because he has to go to Colorado too, which is where his home run issue can crop back up as right. well for Descofani. Yeah, I was just about to say maybe you don't play him in Colorado, but at the same time, if they lose Trevor Story, I mean, I, I don't know. This this offense could be really, really brutal. But we'll, we'll that's, see. That's true. That's true. And you know, we've seen that. Like, we we, we love what Coors does for guys, but it, it doesn't really make guys out of thin air the way we kind of. Uh, pretend, and I, I guess pun intended because the thin air is why, what drives that park, but it, it doesn't. You have to have a measure of skill. So if it is a bunch of slugs, it'll be a better offense because it's in course, but it might not be scary. It might just be kind of a regular middle, upper middle of the pack de- offense uh, that you can play guys against, but maybe not Descalfani just because of his home runs. Right. Uh, apparently, the Giants are also close to re-signing Alex Wood and are also talking to Alex Cobb, which... I think it would be this, really this all makes so much sense. It would make so much sense, right? Like they just took Kevin Gosman, who's also someone who relies heavily on his splitter. Uh, they made uh, look kudos to Kevin Gosman. I don't think that the Giants just completely made him, but like had the big velo jump and he was awesome. Cobb was good this past year with the Angels. So if That's he winds promise. up with the Giants, that could be uh, just a match made in heaven. So we'll see if that actually comes to fruition. Uh, next up, we have Charlie Morton, no longer wearing a cast on his surgically repaired right fibula and is now sporting a walking boot. His early ADP, 82.3. That's SP27 off the board. Uh, Scott has Morton SP15 in his rankings. So quite a bit of a disparity there where if you're drafting off those rankings, uh, you're, you're probably going to wind up with a lot of Charlie Morton and, and Sporer. Uh, I, I do like this price tag quite a bit for for Morton. Coming off a year where he was SP10 in points leagues, SP12 in Roto, uh, assuming that he can stay healthy again, which I guess you can't really do because he's older, but uh, yeah. he seems like a steal right now at his ADP. Uh, he really does. And, you know, with Charlie Morton, I think some some folks are going to play it where I, if I'm a year too early and he's good again, that's OK. I'm willing to give that up in the market. And that's part of what's driving this price down, which I totally get. You're not going to go broke betting off of of 38 year old starters, uh, staying off of them is what I'm uh, trying to say. Sorry. Uh, just avoiding them. 
as a general rule. If they get to 38, you say hands off. Again, it takes conviction to do that because sometimes you see a Max Scherzer who I think is about to be 38 or, or Verlander uh, certainly will be ab- above that, I believe. But if you just get rid of those guys, you won't go broke. That said, there's nothing in Morton's profile that predicts anything is coming. Now, when you are 35 plus, injuries can just come at an instant and it can be done. That is the risk of like, it's not just a, a month or so. He just hangs it up, but the skills upside is there. And so I'm willing to bet at that price on Charlie Morton. I actually have him closer to that price as far as his ranking, but I'm fine with that. And I understand why Scott has him high because the the skills are so solid that if you can get even 150 innings, which he's eclipsed each of the last three full seasons, obviously absent 2020, then you should uh, expect some pretty good numbers from Charlie Morton. Royals prospects, first baseman Nick Prado and catcher MJ Melendez were added to the Royals 40-man roster. And I think there's probably a good chance we could see both of them uh, this Mm -hmm. upcoming season in 2022. Marlins outfield prospect J.J. Blade and Cardinals first base prospect Juan Yepes. You know, I should have looked up how to say his name. Yepes. That's correct. Yeah, Yepes. They were both named co- hitters of the Arizona Fall League and Rangers Mm -hmm. pitching prospect Owen White named the pitcher of the AFL. And of those three, I'm thinking uh, Yepes is the only one that we see in the bigs next season. Maybe Blade. Uh-huh. I mean, he's played a double A, but he really struggled in the minors this past season. I guess there's a chance. Uh, he did, but like, go ahead. Uh, you finish. I'm sorry. Uh, I was just going to say, like with Yepes, um, the Cardinals likely going to have the universal DH. I think that obviously can help him. He's bounced around. Like, I don't know that he's a good fielder. He's played some first. He's played some third. A little bit in the corner outfield. Uh, I, I was just going to say, I know that you were at Arizona Fall League. So were there any names that you, you, we should know for 2022? If you have anything on these three that I just mentioned as well, you can also throw that in there. You know, I kind of wish that Yepes would have slowed down because that was my guy. That was my big takeaway guy that I was really impressed with. But now he's on the uh, he, he's kind of on on the uh, uh, landscape a bit, being a hitter of the AFL. So it's not so so hidden. This looks like a true Cardinals guy too, where they kind of take somebody that uh, you know you don't understand quite how how it works. Like he doesn't look like a great body, not great defense but he just hits and he hits a lot. And I think he's a guy who can come up and just rake for them, especially if they do have that DH. I'm a Bleday guy. Um, I, I, I can't quit him. I, I'm still really intrigued by him. AFL is a finishing school. The fact that he doesn't have triple A, I don't even think it's that big of a deal. I think he can go down and get, 20 games there. Um, if he kind of carries over some of this work, I mean, obviously he hasn't shown anything. Um, he lost that big development year in 2020. That's huge. There is some swing and miss, uh, particularly with, with velocity up. And that is a concern, but I, I still like the power and he put it on display at the fall. We got to see him crush a couple home runs, uh, which were impressive, including in the fall stars game. And I think at 24, he needs to touch the majors this year or else there, there's some real trouble with this path. This comp is, is more of a guy who was drafted high and then kind of really pushed his stock down in the minors before popping up. But Jonathan India vibes uh, come across a little bit with J.J. Bleday in that I, I wonder if, if, if when he gets to the majors, it kind of it clicks for him. Maybe this is, is the jump start he needs at the Arizona Fall League. Again, he does have issues. It's not that there's nothing wrong with his game uh, that was causing him to struggle, but I do wonder if he might kind of be ready and uh, maybe just didn't have the full commitment that he had to have in the minors and is better than what we've seen in high A and double A. 
I, I like the Jonathan India comp too because he walks quite a bit, near 14% walk rate this past season at AA. Uh, the batted ball profile looks pretty good too. You probably want to see some more line drives. Don't love the infield fly ball rate, especially for prospects, but uh, yeah, look, we'll, we'll, we'll take the AFL, uh, what he did in the AFL, and, and see if he can build off of that. Uh, I think when I was listening to the podcast that you did there, uh, you mentioned another Marlins outfield prospect, I believe, right? Cameron Cam Meisner. Cam Meisner, yep. yep. Who was also really interesting and is basically kind of uh, positioning himself as like a cheaper version of Bleday. He doesn't have the hype. He was a first-rounder as well, but 35th pick, not fifth pick. I can't remember exactly where Bleday was, but he showed his power at the Fall League quite a bit. He was a guy that I took away from. I actually had two trips to the Fall League this year, one in October and then one in November for the Fall Stars game. So getting that extra look at, at a bunch of guys was really cool. Saw Meisner continue to hit for power. Only hit 205, so that's not going to jump off the page, but seven homers, a 513 slug. That's really showing the pop. I really took that away. Still, swing and miss issues similar to Bleday. That's why I say he's kind of a diet Bleday in fantasy because you don't have to pay nearly as much, but you might get the same thing. So instead of paying for the name brand of Bleday, uh, if you're worried about him and share some of the concerns that we've seen, go get Meisner much cheaper. You're probably getting about the same thing. I have hopes that Bleday can can push his level up a bit. Uh, but for now, it looks like those two could be pretty similar. High power, uh, low batting average types that uh, should be able to stake in at least a corner. But for, they might have center field possibility. For anyone who watched the Fall Stars game, by the way, too, <laughs> uh, you might have saw Spore in the background with our buddy, the Welsh, uh, who we've had on this podcast many times. Uh, anytime someone would strike out, you see these two goons in the background <laughs> doing their strikeout calls, punching people out. Uh, so that was really fun to watch. I saw a few clips of that on Twitter. So uh, good stuff there. The Tigers, you're a big Tigers fan. They seem yes. to be interested in every shortstop on the market. Which one do you think they actually wind up with, if they do? I, I think it's got to be Correa. This is something that, again, I, I don't say this to like uh, a brag, but I was calling since before last year. Like it was so obvious. Uh, again, I, I wasn't predicting something that's crazy. It just fits, right? This is exactly what they need. Uh, a premier shortstop. They don't have one coming. Uh, they're a young team on the rise. Shortstop is obviously a remarkably important position. How often do you get an opportunity to get a, a, a guy on the right side of 30 of this quality? That's what we're seeing with uh, these free agent classes like this one and the ones that are coming up. We're going to see a lot younger guys than normal. A lot of times free agency, you're buying like 29 and higher, often guys in their 30s. We're seeing that age down because guys are coming up sooner. And this is the, the fruits of that and a guy like Correa is going to be 27. You got Hinch there for the obvious link. They got to pay them. Like it, it just makes too much sense. Insofar as these big deals go, I know the the review on a lot of these these uh, I think like 150 plus million dollar deals is pretty negative uh, because the the tail end is always going to be bad. There's kind of like a built in bias against them just due to their length. But you're you're paying for the early years, and the next four years of Correa should be excellent so should it be for the Tigers. They're opening a window. It makes way too much sense for them not to go out and get their franchise guy. Uh, Correa should be the guy. I think Story Seager would both fit. Baez, I, I hate being negative on him because I really enjoy liking uh, watching him play and, and everything he does defensively. And, and when he's on, he's awesome at the dish, but he's just not always on. And that volatility of his plate profile will not age well unless he kind of learns to uh, learns the strike zone a bit better. It's not that walks inherently make you better just by virtue of being uh, taking walks. It's that you don't swing at balls and, and get yourself out. 
And that's something that Correa does a lot. He reminds me of somebody like a Carlos Gomez who burned brightly, but then was gone pretty quickly in terms of an effective player. I feel like that's what Baez is going to turn into. The other three guys, I think they have a lot more stable hitting profiles and they can be a franchise guy for the next four to six years. And then the extra, you know, three to four years on the back end of it, those will be a coin flip and you might get lucky and get somebody who ages well, or you get a dud and you start moving them third, first, DH, whatever. Yeah, I think Correa to the Tigers makes a ton of sense, right? Like this whole situation, like AJ Hinch has done this before. He took over the Houston Astros. He saw them mm-hmm. basically turn their entire organization around uh, with younger players, right? So now he's doing that again with the Detroit Tigers. Scott and I have talked about quite a bit already. Uh, the Tigers from 2019 to, to this past season, that's the last two full seasons that we've had, 30 win improvement from 49 yeah. to 79. That is massive like you don't see that over you know that short period of time so it looks like they're ready to take that next step here in 2022 as well a few more smaller moves i wanted to mention brent honeywell traded to the oakland a's for cash considerations aaron loop signed with the angels on a two-year 17 million dollar deal and according to jeff fletcher who covers the team this is the first pitcher the angels have signed to a multi-year deal since joe smith back in november of 2013. it is november of 2021. This almost seems impossible. They didn't sign a single pitcher to a multi-year deal deal. in eight years. That is just mind-boggling. But that that really is. I mean, that's that's crazy. Yeah, yeah. it explains a lot about them, though. Too. Yeah, I was just gonna say. I mean, it it makes perfect sense for for where the Angels are at. I mean, hopefully Noah Syndergaard can can turn it around for them. Uh, Pedro Severino signed with the Brewers on a one-year, $1.9 million deal, and Jose Quintana to the Pirates on a one-year, $2 million deal. Let's get into early ADP. 13 drafts done so far over at the NFBC. That's the National Fantasy Baseball Championship. For anyone looking to get uh, get involved, right? Like You might be intimidated by it. Paul and I were talking beforehand. They have lower price points now. They have best ball leagues for $5, $10. They have NFBC 50s. I believe those are just draft and hold leagues where uh, you have $50, whatever, and you you don't have to make any moves throughout the course of the season outside of setting your lineup. There's no waivers. There's no trades. You just set your lineup. So you might be intimidated by the whole you know the whole thing, the whole scene, but like don't be. I mean, there's, there's no. lower price points now as well. Uh, I wanted to start off with starting pitching and, and just ask you. It seems deep. You know, time will tell if it actually is. Uh, but it, it seems like we saw the return of the middle class in 2021. Uh, maybe it's thanks to the ball. Uh, maybe, you know, people using sticky stuff for half the year, just inflated numbers for, for the entirety of the season, whatever it might be. I know that ERA did take a, a pretty big step back from June 1st on, which makes sense because usually there's more hits, there's more home runs in the summer anyway. Uh, yeah. But I really like, you look at the 75 to 150 range for pitcher. I, I mean, it just... It seems so enticing. There's a few names there that we're going to talk about a little bit later on. You have the Shanes from Tampa Bay there. Uh, Ranger Suarez is in that mix. There, there's there, there's a lot of enticing names in that range. But even outside the top 200, there's Joe Ryan, Hyunjin Ryu, Jordan Montgomery. Outside the top 300, John Gray, who could wind up somewhere else. Eric Lauer, surprisingly good. Even Zach Greinke. Uh, you don't even have to be a Greinke fan. His ADP is 330. I mean, he's basically cheap. Uh, he's basically free. So I want to ask you, uh, is starting pitcher deeper than it has been in recent years? What do you think? I mean, that's the general feeling right now, yeah. but I, I feel like we say this pretty regularly. M- maybe not every year and and likely not last year because we had no idea what to expect coming off the COVID year and what to, what to take from it. Um, but part of it, I think, is the proximity to the season. I think the, the freshness of what we just saw and us kind of being intimately familiar with the entire pitching pool uh, – 
kind of has this, you know, it creates this false sense of security because we know the breakouts uh, at the different levels. But what, like 30, 40% of the top 100 will, will probably bust, you know, based off of what we're projecting. But we project positively off of what they just did. And I, I think sometimes we don't, we, we, we don't uh, fully take in the the downside of pitchers, just how much they break and everything. So I don't know that it's necessarily all that much deeper uh, because we always really start to fall in love with these middle tiers. It just feels that way comparatively because the last time we said it was probably after the 19 season because last year was so weird. I think why we had this return of the middle class where there was a little bit more parity at the position was mm-hmm. because of the the ball, which we couldn't, like, we knew yeah. that they changed the ball and that they said that there was going to be less home runs and that they were dejuicing the baseball. We didn't know the extent of how much it was actually going to change the entire landscape of the game. So you take that into account, the fact that we had the sticky substance situation. It was just like a weird year all around, uh, really 2021. Uh, look, this is impossible to predict, but what do you think happens with the ball next? Because they're like talking about pre-tacking the baseball. They did it in the AFL. Apparently they did it in the Olympics as well. So this is something that they've experimented with. Uh, I guess there's a chance that they could start the season with that going into 2022. If it changes again, like, you know, this could affect the pitching landscape, but it's, it's just so hard to tell like how it's going to change it. That's the thing. Like we can't know because we yeah. don't know exactly how uh, the pro- what the process is with the ball. Right. You know, I could see a carve out for some kind of substance allowance in the CBA, uh, like you said, like a tack, and they agree on a certain level, and that's on the ball, and it, it changes things. Um, but the ball is always an X factor because we have no idea, and they just lie. They just lie about it, and we'll say no, it's the same, and it's being you know it's being studied by other people that have the wherewithal to know the differences and it's very clearly different. And so it's kind of always an X factor that we just have to, uh, you know, I guess kind of, uh, you know, hope for the best with it really hope it doesn't create things too drastically to where we overdraft pitchers. If anything, we'd like it to, to pay better dividends on the pitchers that we, that we drafted. Let's stick with pitching and talk about closers on the rise so far. Hendricks and Josh Hader at 35 and 38, respectively, in ADP. Again, there's only been 13 drafts, so anything could change. Uh, but last year, they were also the first two closers being drafted at picks 57 and 58. So, I mean, we're talking about, you know, 20 to 25-ish picks uh, apart from where they were last year versus this year. Mm-hmm. And we got this uh, question from Brendan Tuma on Twitter. I know he does work with Fantasy Pros. And he asked, can you talk about Hader Hendricks going so early? Is this because it's early in the offseason due to the 15-team Roto format, which is a lot of uh, the draft champions, draft and hold leagues that are going on right now? Is it, is a, uh, is it a shift in strategy or all of the above? Does the idea translate to more quote, standard 12-team leagues as well? I I tend to think it's kind of an all-of-the-above situation and includes 12-team leagues. I think it's the ever-increasing lack of the reliable go-to guys. Uh, There were 62 guys with at least five saves last year. That's the most ever, up 10 from 2019. Uh, Meanwhile, nine guys with 30 saves is the lowest since 1988, which is still pretty early in the the years of of dominant closers becoming a thing because like 86, 85, 87 are all there too. So you start to see it slowly go up there. So... I mean, that's a different era, too. That's a completely different era uh, when relievers just weren't as important or in a completely different situation. Relievers are much more important, but teams are realizing that they want to deploy their guys at the best situations for them, not just keep the best guy for the ninth. 
it's the right thing to do. It's the right way to manage the league's a copycat league. They're seeing teams like Tampa Bay do it and have success. They're starting to emulate that more. Uh, it's hell on fantasy, though, because of how difficult it is to accumulate saves and the assets that you have to hold sometimes. But I think that's what's driving up the, these prices. I don't think they're going to go down. I think they have a better chance of going up, to be honest. Yeah, I, I'm right there with you, too. And I don't know about you, but I, I'm I'm not going to be the person to pay that price tag. I don't fault people for wanting to do it. Uh, look, you get two of the best relievers in the game. You get ratios across the board. You get strikeouts. You lock in 30-plus saves, or at least that's what we think you, you, you'll you be getting there. But, I mean, I, I, I want to try and get one of the top, I guess, 7 to 8, you know, 8 to 10 maybe in that, yeah. you know, 5th or 6th round range. But using a 3rd round pick, man, it's like the opportunity cost is just too much for me. What do you think? You know, I'm open to it. Uh, I drafted Giovanni Gallegos very high in a uh, in a mock draft or in, in an actual draft uh, for the NFBC draft and hold when we were in first pitch Arizona. Um, and, you know, it was pretty high. It was, the, it was the third round, super high. But I'm really I'm really bought in on him. I think he's going to be the guy. I wouldn't no, or normally take him there. I didn't know if he's going to make it all the way back, though. I thought people started eyeing closers, and I was like, dang it. Because I, I was thinking, I want to say um, – Hendricks and Hayter were both gone already. So I was like, I'm going to go, I'm going to go and get Gallegos here. He's, he's kind of my next guy up. I think you can kind of get it back. You're talking about the opportunity cost. It's going to lead into the next thing that we're going to talk about. I, I think there's a big depth in, in the tier we're about to talk about that makes it okay to jump up some pitching because guys have to fall for all this pitching to be up. We already know that starters go up. Uh, they've been going up and up lately. And in the NFBC in general, they tend to get pushed up as, as sort of a general uh, versus the consensus of, of home leagues, let's say. And so now you're throwing in closers into the mix. That has to push some hitters down. And I think we start to see that flex itself here in the uh, in the hitting tier that we're going to talk about, even though you have a little trepidation about that tier. Yeah, so let's talk about hitters up at the top. I, I think we get about you know, 70, 75 picks in, and then it seems like it starts to slow down. I mean, it happens every year. Obviously, the elite hitters go up near the top for you know obvious reasons. They're going to give you mm -hmm. some power, some speed. Uh, if not one of those things, they're obviously going to contribute batting average. Obviously, we're trying to get you know five-category production uh, as much as we can early on. But right around pick 70, we have someone like Jazz Chisholm. And don't get me wrong, you know, I, I really like Jazz Chisholm, but... I mean, that seems a little bit aggressive, man. And then, you know, we're seeing Bobby Witt now. This is like the first time we've really seen a true elite prospect being drafted this early since I've referenced uh, Ronald Acuna. His ADP the year he was coming up, 2018, was 100 on the NFBC. Hey, Robert, Roberts was around there too, right? Luis Robert? Uh, I didn't he look signed, at... He signed the deal. Yeah. Now, he was, he was, he was probably... Uh, safer than than Witt because he signed the deal, so right. we were we were knowing that he was going to play. Um, but yeah, with Witt, I will say this about about Chisholm and, and Witt. They're still kind of outliers in this group. I, I don't think they quite fit here with some of the other stability. Like Correa is at ninety four, and obviously I just talked him up. I'm excited. Uh, hopefully, my favorite team signs him. But you know, I think Bregman at ninety two. He's finally priced properly. Brandon Lau at 88. So I think there's still, like, just right there, there's some guys to show that uh, that are going after those two. They're pushed up because of speed. Witt's kind of the shiny new toy. He also has a 36 min pick there. That's doing a lot of work in these 14 drafts. I'm going to be eager to see how Witt, um, how Witt goes as we get 
deeper into drafts, at least in the winter. It'll change maybe in, in the spring if it look it's if it's looking like he's going to break camp. But I think without word that he's going to break camp, I think it'll start to go down. I think that 36 is is holding it up quite a bit. Jazz is in the 50 to 114 range, so a little bit tighter range. But then I think it goes really deep to the point where you start to get to uh, Willie Adamas, Lourdes Gurriel Jr., Yohan Moncada in the 140 to 150 range, Amasel Garcia, Conforto, Gavin Lux around 200. They're a cut lower than Chisholm and guys around there, but that's a, that's closer to me, uh, that talent, I believe, than a 125-pick gap would normally indicate. Yeah, so you kind of answered the question, I guess, but I was just going to ask, like, given the, the way that things are kind of shaping up right now in the hitter pool, um, a few names that you mentioned, I think that they're going to be contributors, no doubt about it. Obviously, not names that contribute speed, but I think that's what, for me at least, it, it lends me to grabbing maybe three or four elite bats in my first five or six picks, whereas like last year, I was leaning into starting pitching and the volatility of the pitching. I almost mm-hmm. wanted to give myself uh, an insurance policy, right? So like if I'm going pocket aces, look, if one of them busts, then at least I have a next one up. Uh, I was yeah. trying to grab like three pitchers in my first five picks. I was really aggressive on that. And now I, it seems like maybe I'm going too far the other way, but I'm looking at maybe grabbing three or four hitters in my first five or six picks. Is that something you are thinking about doing yourself? Well, that coincides with with the perceived depth at starting pitching, too. Right. If you're more comfortable with the middle and back end of that pool, you're going to feel more inclined to to push it a little bit. Uh, again, I think as things shape up more with rotations, we the reason we see a shift, it, it's not just that, uh, you know, the, the NFBC values pitching so much more. I also think there's a stability that we, a stability indicator that we have once we get into the spring where we know what rotations are going to be, then you can kind of be more confident in pitching. Did the guy that you like make the team? Okay. You can move him up. 60 picks if you liked him that much depending on where he is 100 picks if 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 making the team was the big thing so i think that's part of it too um i've been kind of mixed i've done a couple jobs i did the one in arizona and i'm in a best ball one right now uh which you do draft a bit differently there in best ball you can you can take more volatility obviously because you're only going to get the the good of a pitcher and pitching is kind of pushed down there but i didn't have i had one pitcher through six rounds with Betts, Bogarts, Starling Marte, Yasmani Grandal, and Randy Arozarena. Mm, interesting. All right. Well, what we're going to do now. Well, and then I got Webb and Lynn. That's a that's a 12-teamer, though. That's yeah. very important to mention. Yeah, for sure. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. When we return, we'll get into some ADP battles, some standouts. We'll do that next here on Fantasy Baseball Today. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 
All right, so let's do it. ADP battles and some standouts. A lot of these I crowdsourced on Twitter and our Fantasy Baseball Today Facebook group. And we're going to start up top. We got this one from Ryan on Twitter. And he asked about Mike Trout at pick 15.9 versus Freddie Freeman at 18.7. And he says, quote, with Trout most likely not stealing and injury prone, aren't we hoping that he has a Freddie season best case scenario? Uh, And Mike Trout, I've referenced this before as well. Since the start of 2017, Trout has missed 33% of his games to injury. Obviously, uh, a lot of that was due to last season where, you know, he I think he only played like 36 games or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. Even if you take out last year, he's missed 19% of his games from 2017 through 2020. So that that's not nothing. And now he's 30 years old. So I think he's still going to be really good when he's on the field. I think you have to, to factor that in some, uh, you know, a little bit, at least, for, for Trout. Freeman, I mean, he's rock solid. 295 plus in, in six straight seasons. 30-plus homers, great counting stats. He's going to chip in six to eight steals. Uh, I think that you know he's not going to, he doesn't have the power upside of a Mike Trout, but he's also much more dependable. He's missed seven games over the last four years. That yeah. is insane. Like, <laughs> this guy is an Iron Man, kind of like Whit Merrifield, right? Like, Whit Merrifield just doesn't miss time. Uh, it's pretty crazy. But what do you think, Mike Trout versus Freddie Freeman? It's an, it's an interesting pairing there for sure because, you know, the first base is still kind of interesting. Like, I, I like a lot of the players, but there's not a lot of that lockdown premium talent there. You've got Vlad, Freeman, Olsen, Goldschmidt, Muncy, Pete Alonzo, pretty much there because 40 homers uh, with, you know, with good runs and ribbies, like that, that'll do it. Um, but then it really starts to find a huge cluster of sameness. So getting Freeman there, like we, we usually think of first base as deep and it is in terms of usefulness, but you're still getting a cut above when you get Freddie Freeman. Yeah. Then with trout, like the, the trepidation is understood completely based on the, the health that we've seen. The thing for me though, is I, I don't believe he's done having healthy seasons and I still think a healthy trout uh, is going to be better than Freeman. Like, when he when he's played, he's still just been so elite. 1090 OPS in the 36 games he did play with eight homers, two steals. I still think that uh, a healthy Trout will will run double digits. I mean, um, he had 11 in 134 games in 2019. Again, if if he gets back to 150 game season, which I believe, I, I still think he'll have at least one. I know it'll be 30 this year. I think he'll at least one more. 150 game season because it's a matter of getting fully healthy. And then once he is, we'll see if he can stay healthy. I, I don't know. He is accumulating injuries, but I'm still, I'm still leaning toward Trout. I, I kind of have them right there. I think they make an interesting turn. If you're at pick like 15 and take uh, an, an open trout Freeman, I think that'd be, that'd be a really cool start. I, I would, I would like that. Now a lot of people would say your, your speed is challenged there because again, trout, what are you betting on 15 max right now, unless he just spikes a crazy season out of nowhere and Freeman's a chip in. You need some speed. I don't think you have to draft speed in the first two rounds or else you're dead, but you can't, you then have to use the next two picks to get some speed contributions. I I do think that you can't wait too long after that. If you don't use your first two picks on some measure of speed. Yeah, I think I'm with you. I, I think I'm still going to take Mike Trout. Uh, I, I look when he's on the field. Like if he manages to stay healthy for 150 games, I still believe that his upside is higher than Freddie Freeman's. It, we're Same. you're going to get 300 plus batting average. Again, you're going to get more power. You're, it's going to be 40 plus home runs. Counting stats will still be really good, even if it's only eight to ten steals for uh, Mike Trout. That's 
the max that you're going to get from from Freddie Freeman as well. And look, if we're talking Roto, you need five outfielders, obviously, too. So uh, let's not yeah. forget about fill, uh, filling those spots. You're right about first base. Like it's it's definitely not a great position or it's not as of now, not looking like a great position. Uh, but yeah, I still think I, I lean Mike Trout. Do you put any any stock into the um, strikeouts and, and ground ball rate way up for, for Trout this year? Or is that just like small sample size noise? It's too small. And I think yeah. we learned um, a valuable lesson. One we should have known. We've We've known since the like money ball age of like small sample size, but we learned how much we overrated the 2020 season. Right. Uh, be- just because it was called a season and, and how little it really meant. So he basically played another one of those 36 games. So he was great. There were some good, some bad, so much of it would have smoothed out. You, you can't take much from it except for the fact that he was still great. I think you can still at least appreciate that and say he is still one of the most talented players in the game. And what you're trying to bet on is some health. And that can be scary because he hasn't been healthy. I'm not, I'm not suggesting otherwise. I'm still willing to take that lottery ticket, though, even with a first-round pick or second-round pick and hope that I can get that full season because I, I know what I, whatever I do get from him seemingly going to be very good. And then if I have to work around replacing him, if he plays 130 games again, I'm still pretty happy with that. Like if he repeats 2019, I mean, of course that's insane. 45 and 11 in 134 games. Yeah, He didn't even need a full season. That's how insane he is. He's putting up full seasons of work in 18 and 19. Everyone talks about what he missed. They don't talk about what he did. Like he was still amazing. <laughs> Definitely was. Uh, let's take a look at some early third baseman. Rafael Devers at 19.4 versus Manny Machado at 26.9. Uh, Devers this past season, awesome year, 279 batting average, 38 homers. Finished as the number 12 overall player. He's now finished 12th overall in the top 12 overall in two of the last three seasons. And the stack cast numbers uh, bear that out. I mean, he was 89th percentile or better in barrel rate, average exit velocity, XBA, X-Lug. Uh, Devers is awesome. Just really not going to give you much speed. That's that's the only difference here. Uh, Machado, a little underwhelming with the power. Only 28 home runs. The uh, home run to fly ball takes a step back. Probably related somewhat to the ball, I would imagine. Uh, but someone who underperformed his expected numbers. So 290 XBA, 517 X-Lug tells us. All right, maybe there could be some some bounce back regression here for Manny Machado. What do you think, Devers versus Machado? I'll probably just take the cheaper of the two. I think I've had a little bit of a blind spot on Machado and just kind of underappreciated him a bit. Um, but I think that's a, a perfectly fair price for him. It's not like the market is super out. You, you pay for just kind of a steady force that you can put in your lineup. That talk about another iron horse there. Machado comes to play. He's gonna be 29, still on the right side of 30. Um, and there is still that kind of double digit speed upside there that I think it pretty much covers the gap between them. Like Devers probably has more pop. Um, I mean we saw the 38 this year. Like we, we we've seen what he can do now back to back or two straight uh 30-plus seasons for full seasons, right? Again, throw 2020 off to the side. He's gone 32 and 38 the last two years. So he gets the power advantage, but I will trade those 10 homers for the the 8 to 10 extra steals. To be honest, those are going to be more valuable to me easily. Yeah, I was going to say, like, that's basically what you have to weigh. I think we probably get a similar batting average, you know, 275 mm-hmm. to 285, somewhere in that range for both of these guys. Then you get more pop from Devers, probably get more counting stats from Devers too. Maybe the Padres' entire lineup can can bounce back. I mean, Tatis was awesome, but uh, everyone else, it seems like they need to get back on track there. But um, yeah, you're definitely going to get more speed from, from Manny Machado. I think... You know- 
It they, they put sorry, real quick. Go I was ahead. just gonna say they played the exact same number of games since 2019, 369. So you can really compare them with a huge sample pretty easily. Devers has uh, five more homers, uh, like 20, excuse me, 45 more ribbies or runs, runs, excuse me, 50 more ribbies almost. So you're right. The counting stats are a lot better there, but 10 more steals over two plus years. Yeah, it's close, man. I mean, it is close. You don't want to underestimate those counting stats, right? Because like no. that, that adds up. So if Devers is giving you, you know, 210, 220 plus runs in RBI, I mean, that's that matters. That matters. So I, I think I still lean with Devers, but man, like he's just not really part of the way that I usually build roto teams. Um, is yeah. it because he doesn't have the speed and you got to yeah. take him a second? Yeah, you know, it's just like if I'm using a second or third round pick on someone, it's I want. At least ten steals, I, I would say. So, uh, I, I hear you. I mean, but he's so devastating. I yeah, mean, he really is. And he don't forget, he hit three eleven in twenty nineteen. That's in his skill set for Devers yeah. yeah. to hit even higher. Which Machado has had some years in the two nineties, but we and, and he had three hundred four in the in the two months. But that's what he does. Like that's perfect for him in twenty twenty to show three hundred four because he can do that for two months. To hit two seventy eight, you do have two months that you hit three hundred four. Like that's that's right. pretty obvious. So. I'm actually leaning toward Devers a little bit more comfortably too, as opposed to the just the cheaper one. I think, I, I think I can get behind that, especially if I get big speed. What if you get like Trey Turner in the first? I think we solidified it. I'm going to go Rafael Devers. I am going to rank him ahead of Manny Machado. But look, I getting Machado that's a perfectly fine constellation. Mm-hmm. And uh, like at the way things are playing up right now, I if I'm setting up like a KDS or I have my pick at where I want to draft, I, I want a top five pick. And then coming around, like, I don't know if Devers will make it back in the second, uh, but I'd be perfectly fine, you know, taking Machado and then maybe my first pitcher in the third round, something like that. It's it's Thanksgiving week. Let's start up at the top. I mean, it's the big ones right here. It's turkey Mm -hmm. or ham. Sporo, which way are we going? You a turkey or ham? Look, you could could take both. Nah, turkey all day, man. I'm not not even that much for ham, to be honest. Uh, Sometimes I'll... I'll have it. I've had good ham before, like where it's it's a bit better, but most of the time it's it's pretty C plus. Whereas I think turkey can range. It can be bad. If a dry turkey, you're chomping on that, getting stuck <laughs> in your throat, man. You're like, I'm dying over here. Um, but with ham, you don't put gravy on it. I don't. I think that's weird. But with turkey, you can, and that can that can kind of fix it. So I, I prefer turkey. Dark meat probably better too. Yeah, yeah, I hear you. Man. I like both of them. I like both of them. I'm, I'm gonna take ham. Uh, okay. Adam, Adam Azer and I were talking. We were doing a football stream earlier on on Sunday this this week, and me and him were both team ham. We were going up against Chris Towers, and, and Chris was big on turkey. I like both of them. I hear what you're saying. I think the gravy could get on top of the turkey doesn't make as much sense on the ham, but yeah, uh, I think you just we gotta. I'll make some arrangements, man. I'm going to have to have you over for Thanksgiving because the way that my parents make ham, it's like there's just like this brown sugar, like maple glaze on the outside of the ham. And it is awesome. I'm I'm in for that. Like I said, (laughs) I've had I've had good ham. What you consider what you would consider good. Definitely not just some run of the mill. Um, And I've had run of the mill turkey, too. I'm just saying if I that's kind of what I was judging off of. What's the lowest tier I would take and like run of the mill Turkey versus run of the mill ham that I'm going with the Turkey. So it's more, it's a more stable floor for me. Maybe, tur- maybe ham has a little bit of a higher upside, especially the way your parents make it. So I'll have to find <laughs> out. That's the only way to, that's the only way to judge that is to find out. I like this. I like we're, we're, we're bringing the fantasy terminology into our, our Turkey versus ham. So that's great. Uh, let's get back into fantasy baseball and somebody submitted Tim Anderson versus Wander Franco. 
Now, I appreciate the submission, but I'm going to tweak this one a little bit because I thought Wander Franco at 47.7 versus Francisco Lindor was a little bit more interesting to me. So that's what we're going to go with. Francisco Lindor's at 53.2. He's going about five, six picks after Wander Franco right now. And Wander was great. Look, first season, 288, seven homers, 53 runs scored uh, in 70 games. He only had two steals. He had that 43-game on-base streak. Maybe someone who plays up better in a points league. Obviously, great OBP. He's going to walk a lot. Has awesome plate discipline. Uh, disappointing season from Francisco Lindor. No mm-hmm. doubt about it. Still gave us 20 homers, 10 steals, and 125 games. So, gives you power. Gives you a little bit of speed. Something clicked for him in September. It's a small sample. I don't want to hold on to that too much. But in September for Lindor, 257 batting average, 9 homers, and 895 OPS. Gives you a glimmer of hope going into the next season. Uh, he attempted two steals. He got caught stealing on both of them. So, uh, <laughs> Paul, what are you thinking here? We're going Wander Franco versus Francisco Lindor. You know, I, I think Franco is ready. Like, he has arrived. Um, I don't really have much concern about him being a productive fantasy asset. I don't think he's going to be at his best right away next year. I think we'll probably look at like a 2023, 2024, going to be the best of, of Wander Franco when he fully settles in. But I think he's ready to go right away. We saw what he could do this year. The the eye uh, and the ability at the dish to kind of get on base, that can really help alleviate slumps too. Uh, so you're not, you know, going – three weeks without even touching first base. You're still getting on, maybe scoring, contributing to the team type of deal because he will hit some slumps and some teams will figure him out uh, for periods of time and then he'll adjust. That said, as much as I like him, I think I think you got to go Lindor here just because, first off, he's cheaper right now. And, of course, they're close. That means sometimes one's going ahead of the other. But we've seen it so much with Lindor. And that was his first year in New York, and I kind of have – you know, a little bit of like a first year rule where I, I, I'm not I'm not so interested to get those guys first year, huge new place with a fat deal. Now he wasn't he was traded there and then signed. It works very similarly though. Yeah. You know, obviously he's he's set up to be the franchise guy. Ten years, three hundred forty one million. I give him a year to kind of figure it out. I think it's going to be very much Carlos Beltran-esque where he's going to get back on track. Um, and I think he's got a chance to be like a fantasy league winner uh, because he's a guy that you get, what did you say his ADP was? It's at uh, 53, and he plays like the number three player. Like, you know, get, gets back to that insane level that we've seen before. Um, I really think that's possible for Lindor. And so I would pick him over Wander for sure. Oh, man, this is so close. I came into this thinking... That I was, I was pretty set on Wander Franco. Like I'm going to have him ranked higher. I think the batting average is going to be f- better for Wander Franco. I just don't know where the power and speed is going to be for him right away. So I think you're you're right about that. That we're not going to see the best of Wander Franco yet. That that being said, like I didn't really believe in Bo Bichette as a second round pick or whatever he was last year, and he True. goes out and has this monster season. So uh, can we see Wander Franco do that? I think it's within his range of outcomes. I just really don't know how much he's going to run. So that's that's the biggest thing for me. Uh, I, I thought we were going to get a better discount on Lindor. I honestly thought we were. And, and I, I was, was going to be Dude. excited to draft him too. Like, I just wish, you know, maybe it was he was going to like a round later. Uh, I guess it makes sense, right? Because he's still going to project for at least 25 homers, I would say, 12 to 15 steals. That's a, that's a solid player. And if and the Mets... Nine homers in a month yeah. is huge. Like if, that stands out. That's, yeah. that's lasting, I think. Yeah, and if the Mets lineup bounces back, too, like the, the counting mm-hmm. stats should be there, too. Uh, I think I just kind of talked myself into Francisco Lindor, but, man, that is um, that is close. I can't really fault anyone there. 
I'm going to go with Francisco Lindor right there with you as well. Sandy Alcantara, I want to talk about him. He's on the rise. He's an early fourth-round pick in 12-teamers. He's a late third-round pick in 15-teamers as of now. I wanted to ask you about three pitchers that are going in a row right now. Sandy Alcantara, Chris Sale, and Aaron Nola. Uh, so Chris Sale, we saw him come back from Tommy John. Really, the only one between him, Severino, and Cindercard comes back and makes nine starts, and much more mm-hmm. than those others. Uh, 3 one ERA, 134 whip. The hits were up. The BABIP was up. He was very good. Swinging strike rate, not where it's been at in years past with him. Uh, Sandy was just, like, down the stretch. His final 13 starts, he had a 15% swinging strike rate. That was fourth among qualified starting pitchers. Like, the guy, I feel like he's just ready. You know, like... The changeup usage is up, just like progressing as a pitcher all across the board. It seems like everything's there for him. Aaron Nola is just, how can you be that unlucky for an entire season, right? Like 463 ERA, everything underneath, the underlying numbers, every ERA indicator is sub 3.5. And it was really just the home runs. I mean, the fact that his his ground ball rate was the lowest it's been of his career. So as a result, gives up more fly balls, a few more home runs, uh, really just doomed Aaron Nola here. So who are you taking to that group? Sandy, Chris Sale, Aaron Ola. Sandy's my guy. I got him the, the highest of the three. Um, you talk about somebody you wish you had a better discount on. I, I wish more people would sleep on Nola, but it's obvious, right? It's right there. Yeah. Like it's not a buy low. It's not an, a sleeper. It's it's nothing like that. Everyone is fully in on Aaron Nola because we all see the very obvious underlying numbers. And so you have to pay full market price, but that's fine. You shouldn't be buying solely off of last year anyway. And this is just a good lesson that, and yet people will say, oh, there's not enough of a discount. I won't buy him. It's like, but you are going to buy him because you're valuing him as a mid threes ERA guy anyway. So just because the discount's been taken, he's now just where he belongs. You can still buy him. So I'm right there with the whole trio uh, in terms of willing to pay their market price. But I do have an Alcantara sale NOLA. Yeah, I think I'm going to have Sandy. I haven't done my rankings yet. I'm looking at ADP. Scott has his rankings out right now. I believe he has Sandy ranked the highest of the three as well. But yeah, I think everything is just there for him too. Like he gives you so much volume too. He was only, he was one of four starting pitchers with 200 plus innings this past season. Talking about an extension right now with the Miami Marlins. So stays in that great ballpark, has the familiarity there. And again, he's only getting better and better. Throws extremely hard. Strikeouts up, walks down everything that you want to see. So it's a big price tag, but I'm right there on Sandy Alcantara. He's, he's going to be a target for me in that third round. I've, I've seen, mm-hmm. you know, look, if you start two hitters and you get one of Sandy or Giolito or Nola in the third round as your first pitcher, I'm fine with that. I think Absolutely. I feel all right with that, man. And then like you come back and in, in rounds five, six, seven, uh, you could take, I have ADP up right here. Like you get a Logan Webb, or a Jack Flaherty as your SP2, or even if you wait till the sixth round, you get like Luis Castillo on a bounce back. The whip is always going to be bad. I think I think we know that at this point. Uh, but you get Castillo as your SP2, or a Charlie Morton as your SP2, come back with like a hype guy a little bit later on, like a Shane McClanahan as, as mm-hmm. one of your top three starting pitchers. I I feel good with that, man. Like, I don't know. What are you thinking? That's right where I'm at. I mean, I, yeah. I really feel comfortable with that. Um, I, I'm okay not necessarily forcing uh, somebody in the first two rounds if it doesn't fit. Now, I, I will take a picture there, but it, again, it's something where I think kind of last year I really wanted to have one, at least in like the first three rounds. Now I can get to the fourth round without having a starter and thinking, oh no, I'm in deep trouble. I, I think there there's a path there 
to where your your pitching feels fine um, by by plucking out of out of that tier a few times. All right, Thanksgiving, we're back. Here we go. We've got side dish edition right here. A battle okay. green bean casserole, very popular on Thanksgiving, versus a sweet potato casserole, versus mm-hmm. stuffing. Which one you got? I'm gonna go stuffing. Um, and again, that's another thing that you know needs to be made well, but I think has a decent floor. Um, to where it's hard to make it terribly, I guess, or maybe I just haven't had terrible stuffing, but I've had really, really good stuffing and uh, I really like it. I've had fine casseroles, but I'm not a huge casserole guy. So stuffing for me. I'm with you, man. We are simpatico. Let's go stuffing. uh, I agree. Like if it's made right, it can be awesome. I think green bean casserole is very good as well. Sweet potato casserole. I mean, you get a little crazy, you know, people put like marshmallows on top of their sweet potato. It's just like, all right, I get it. Like, you know, that, I'm sure it tastes amazing. Makes um, it more appealing, yes. Yes, but it's just like, at that point, it's it's a dessert, isn't it? Like, I don't know. We're, That's we're, what I always felt. <laughs> I'm like, why are we eating this with everything else? That feels problematic. Yeah, and look, maybe it's the the, the five-year-old within, like, I Yeah, I, we see marshmallows, and we're like, yes, dessert. No, I, I was... I like mac and cheese. I, I'm totally. That was like, going to be my pick. If we there, get mac uh, and cheese on Thanksgiving, like that's awesome. You know, whatever. Yeah. Like, give me mac and cheese. You know, the next, like, give me chicken fingers. Yes, I eat like a five year old. It's perfectly I'll, fine. Yeah, like, let's do it. Dude. I'll never grow out of like mac and cheese. I don't. If that makes me a child, yeah, for life, I'm signing up for that. I mean, I'm I'm at least eating Annie's. I eat adult mac and cheese. So <laughs> come on, that's something. Uh, all right, this one isn't a battle, but we got this from uh, Mark Farrell. Farrell? Farrell? We'll go Farrell on, on Facebook. Uh, I, he says, I keep hearing third base is thin, but is it? Chris Bryant, Alex Bregman, and Anthony Ron, uh, Rendon in the 92 to 116 range, and that's round 8 to 10. Uh, then Cabrian Hayes, Juan Moncada, or Justin Turner in the 13 to 14 rounds. Uh, I'd consider first base to be thin. So what do you think about this, this statement here about third base? I hear that. Um but, I mean, I think that that second group in particular has a lot of warts. Cabrian Hayes hasn't done it. Yoan know, Mankata, I guess, you kind of rallied to the finish line. I got to be honest. When I saw – I know we're going to talk about MLB the show later, but when I saw he got a finest card, I was like, what? They moved him down to a bronze. How did he get a finest card? But then I looked, and he had a pretty good season from, like, a baseball standpoint, thanks in large part to a 375 on base. But he wasn't, like – like 14 homers and 61 ribbies and a 263 average. That's what you're, you're psyched about getting at third base. That that's tough. And, and Turner, you know, he's a guy who could age pretty quickly where, wherein it, it could start to go. Uh, he was still good last year. I absolutely believe that. But again, 37, there, there is a way that I think there's a viable strategy of just saying like no 35 plus guys on my teams ever just because of the bus rate. And you won't go broke doing that. You'll avoid guys like this. It's they, that doesn't mean everyone will be bad. It just means that overall, that'll be a winning bet if you have like a certain ADP range. Obviously, the later you get, the more you can take that gamble. But he'll be 37. He has a litany of injuries uh, under his belt. He did play 151 games. So I know I'm sounding a little wishy-washy on, on Turner. I like him, but I don't know if I want him to be my guy at third. I, th- I think you're giving something back to the rest of the pool if he's your starting third baseman. So the depth isn't just... Do I like a guy? But you have to understand what you're giving back to. Yes, you're going to take him later, so you're going to be uh, positioned well at other positions. But I don't know if you're gaining enough to to make Justin Turner your starting third baseman. 
Uh, look, it's definitely a weak position. There's no doubt about it. We have one third baseman in the first round. We have uh, Devers and Machado. If we're looking at a 15-teamer, they both go in the second round. And then, I mean, we wait a little bit. We have Mondesi, which he will have third base eligibility. But, yeah. I mean, look, that's if you want to do the Mondesi thing, perfect. That's all you I do. Use. I do the Mondesi thing sometimes. Yeah. Uh, Austin Riley, I, I like the price tag there. Look, the ones that he asked about, like, yeah, I think Bregman at 92, like that's a fair price tag. Um, yeah. Rendon, I know he burned a lot of people. I had him on a lot of teams last year. And Same. I, I it, love him. I, I can't. It, like, I can't we're getting stop. him at 116. I'm yeah. I'm totally fine. Like, I, he's probably not going to hit for a lot of power anymore, but if he hits 280 plus with 25 homers in, in that that's Angels the, lineup, like. That's the thing. Yeah. If, if the batting average with like 25 over, he could drive in 100 too, even with lower power because Trout and Otani on base ahead of him, just like constantly. Yeah. If yeah. The, obviously, if things play to fruition. Uh, but yeah. And obviously, he needs to stay healthy. But, you know, he missed this season basically 58 games. But he played in the two months. Not like he missed anything in the two-month season. 146, 136, 147. That's where he lives. That's why he is the price that he is. Because Rendon doesn't play a full season. But you just So this is really the first season that I, th- I should say that he's burned anybody. I'm not going to quit him yet. He's 32. He has skills that should age well. And if Rendon is healthy, he'll be good. We'll know if he's healthy, if he's performing the way he did last year in the 58 games. We'll know that he's probably still battling something. But a healthy Rendon is going to crush. Yeah, I'm I'm still right there with you. Rendon's going to be a target of mine. Uh, Mark Farrell also had a follow up. He says you should ask Justin Mason who his, who this year's Cedric Mullins will be. So on a future podcast, if if you want to bring that up with Justin, uh, it's been it's been discussed quite a bit. I don't know that he's found one yet. Okay, uh, I don't I don't think he's trying to make it a thing. Uh, I encourage him to actually do make it a thing, though. Yeah. Um, because I mean, hello, marketing. Like you know, <laughs> uh, Vlad Sedler does his this year's Christian Yelich. Like, right. uh, hello, this is a thing that you can have that can be your thing this year, Cedric Mullins. And if you, what if he hits on like two in a row, then then it becomes a huge thing. So I think he's crazy not to embrace it. I might steal it. I'm telling you right now, Frank. <laughs> I hope Justin doesn't listen to this. I might just steal it, and I might gaslight everybody into believing that I said it last year, that I was the Cedric Mullins guy (laughs) and completely take it away. Cause if you're going to be handed something cool like this, a little thing that you can have annually and you don't want it, finders keepers. (laughs) Very clearly finders. keepers. You guys pod together. I mean, look, you're close enough at this point, right? Like that's what I'm saying. You can adopt it. Going back to when I called Cedric Mullins last year, Frank, that was, (laughs) that was a call. (laughs) It started one stormy night. I was cooped. No, I'm kidding. Um, but yeah, as far as who he put, did you see Lane Thomas there? That's an interesting name. Um, Lane oh, Thomas I, I is actually, starting to get some I butts. actually threw that one in there. That wasn't Oh, for okay. Yeah, Pardon yeah. me. I thought that was him. So you threw Lane Thomas. I want to let you talk about him then instead of me setting him up because I, I'm, I'm with you that there's some intrigue here. There really is, man. First off, I know Cardinals fans are probably bugging again. Another guy who could potentially bust out after leaving the cards, but all their years of devil magic, like Alan Craig and freaking Matt Carpenter and, you know, bunch of different guys. There's more than that, but I can't think of them right now. Uh, They can stand to lose a couple of these, but Lane Thomas might be that dude. He looked really sharp in that 206 plate appearances with the Nats. 
that's just a small sample, but it shows something to build on. And he's 26. He should get an opportunity at a full-time job. I think people are kind of sleeping on Lane Thomas. So I did just set him up after saying you should. So I'm an idiot, but go ahead and talk about him now. <laughs> hey, look, you said everything that I needed to, right? He played 45 games with the Nationals. And I think what's so eerily similar to Cedric Mullins, right, is I've heard Justin talk about it before. And he said, well, if you followed him the year prior, you saw that he was leading off towards the end of the season for the Baltimore Orioles. And it was the same thing for Lane Thomas with oh. the Washington Nationals. He was leading off towards the end of the season. They clearly have some confidence in the guy. Like if yeah. he performs well early, like he's gonna give he's gonna be given every opportunity to lead off once again for this team. And I don't think the Nationals are going to be great, but like whenever you have Juan Soto hitting behind you, that you're probably gonna have a decent amount of run scoring opportunities. And he so gets on base. Maybe not as good as like Cedric Mullins, because obviously the guy was ridiculous. He went 30-30. But like bananas, yeah. This is very similar to Tommy Pham, in my opinion, right? So like yep. Pham was awesome for the Cardinals. Then he was good for the Rays. Uh, he he was all right for the Padres too. And it's like Health was the only thing that kept him from the Padres. Very, very similar uh, like skill sets here. Walks a decent yep. amount, makes good contact, has some power, has some speed. I think it's like his ADP right now is two eighty or something like that. Like I, 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 I like Lane Thomas. I need a lot. to, I need to jump in a draft. Like yesterday. I don't know if you know um, the, the the siege on Twitter. Siege, CJ Carlton back, I believe is his name. Yes. Um, I remember him. I think. 19 or 20 was talking up Lane Thomas. Him and somebody in my Twitch chat who I don't remember. This was a long time ago, and I just randomly remember it. Two people that I heard talking up Lane Thomas before this year at all. Before anything, like just keep 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 your keep your thoughts on Lane Thomas as an outfielder for the Cardinals. But obviously, they have such a cluster that they couldn't really find him time. Like this one was a necessity to get rid of. Like I understand people with the Luke Voigt and the Randy Rosarena, and who's the other one? Wasn't there three guys? that they lost recently that were, were just killing it. Mm. Um, but like, where's Lane Thomas going to play when you have O'Neill, Bader, and Carlson? Right. There was no spot for him. But he, they might have found something here for the uh, uh, for the Nationals. Yeah, so that, that's that's my early pick. But again, like, I, I've, I've done, I, I've not done enough baseball research yet. So uh, we're already at the hour mark here. We usually keep these to about an hour, but... Look, it's our only podcast of the week, so we'll go a little bit longer here. We've got uh, a few more ADPs that we want to talk about, a few that uh, Sporer provided himself. So uh, the next one that we're going to talk about, I kind of wish Scott was here because I don't know how you feel about this player, but if you don't like him, it would have been awesome to see you guys go at it. So Ranger Suarez <laughs> has an ADP of 146. Oh, Scott, he's a big Ranger guy. He's a big Ranger guy. Uh, like Scott has him at SP33. He loves him. He has him ranked ahead of like Shane McClanahan. He is all mm -hmm. over Ranger Suarez. 12 starts for Suarez this past season. Mind you, uh, I didn't really realize this until Nick Pollock brought it up on this podcast. Yeah, but yeah I know. I really know favorable going. schedule for mm -hmm. Ranger Suarez down the stretch. 151 ERA, 108 whip, 57% ground ball rate, tick over 11% swinging strike rate. Uh, he's basically sinker four seam and changeup, mixes in a slider 8% of the time. I like Ranger Suarez. I don't, um, I don't inside my top 40 starting pitchers like Ranger Suarez. So where are you at at ADP 146? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't hate him, but that price is steep. And I think I get it because here's the thing. Even people who look under the hood, what are they going to see? Nothing but greatness. The, the season was like, it's infallible in terms of the, the profile. 
statistically. So even people who, who do that second level, third level analysis are going to see, wow, this was crazy. And some people are going to run into exactly what Nick talked about with the schedule and be like, okay, I'll take a little bit off for that. But we're talking about a 136 ERA and a one whip in 106 innings. Okay, so the schedule gets tougher and is either 351 Sierra that we posted uh, or that he posted with a, like a 115 to 119 whip. I'm fine with that. Um, I think the fact that he also showed the volume, like he was going deep into games, nine inning, he had he had a shutout, um, he had a bunch of six inning games. I don't see any reason that he can't have like a huge uh, volume next year too. If he stays healthy, I think he can be like a 175 type of guy. I don't know. The price is the problem for me right now because that's full price. I need everything to come through to pay for him at that price. Where I thought he was going to be, I thought I was going to be a Ranger Suarez guy. Turns out I'm a little bit more tepid about it because of the guys he's going around and some of the ones that I like um, a good bit later than him too. Like I'm, I'm still a huge Jose Arquiti guy, and he threw 160. He's got pick 168. Yeah, I was thinking. Just looking at ADP right now, 175 probably would have been a fair range for Suarez. If he was going right where Erod was going, again, like that's you know 175.1 yeah. for Erod. I think that makes that would make a lot of sense for Suarez. He's going ahead of Marcus Stroman. He kind of does a lot of what Stroman does, and Stroman's yeah. done it for longer, right? So I that doesn't really it doesn't really I mean, add up for me. I, I like Ranger Suarez the player, but I agree with you. I he should probably be I would say 25 to 30 picks lower than he is right now. He's he's got a 97 min pick. So again, I wonder if, you know, maybe a couple min picks are are really holding that number up. Um he's as low as 183. So that's a pretty wide range, uh, especially in comparison to the guys around him. You see a few spikes. You see a Clayton Kershaw went 68, somebody being maybe a bit overconfident there. Adam Wainwright at 34 might have been drafting off of like a 2021 Q or something because he was really good, but obviously you cannot do that. That's insane. Um, but otherwise, guys are mostly going around pick 110 to 120 there um, at the front end of their average. So if that's where his front end drops down to, then then he'll probably be somebody that that dips down Ranger Suarez well. But again, I, I I think with these stats, it's hard for people to get off of Ranger Suarez. Yep. Uh, Thanksgiving pies. We haven't talked about any dessert yet. So I don't know if you're big on pie. And some people don't like pie, which I, like there's better desserts than pie. I, I recognize that. That's fine. But pie's fine. Sure. Um, pumpkin pie versus apple pie versus pecan pie. Where are you going? Pumpkin all day. I absolutely love pumpkin pie. Um, it's, it's amazing. I'm looking for a picture to show you to show you what I did one time with a pumpkin pie, which is a terrible setup because that makes it sound like it's a picture you definitely don't want to see, <laughs> but I promise you do. I promise. Um, but I, no, I love pumpkin pie. I don't I don't like the others that much, um, but I really do love pumpkin pie. That, yeah. That's definitely my favorite. And I put like four pounds of Cool Whip on it, <laughs> which is definitely too much, but you know. Yeah. Uh, I'm, yeah, I, I'm with you. I would take pumpkin pie. I like apple pie. Uh, what do we got going on here? Uh, did you make it inside of a pumpkin? No, I. Um, what, what's uh, sorry? I know it's. I know it's like <laughs> reflecting weirdly. I cut out the middle okay. for my piece. Oh, okay. And made that my piece like a giant jerk, <laughs> and uh, I was very proud of myself. I thought it was like the funniest thing ever. Oh, um, you know, my sister, brother-in-law, my girlfriend—they didn't think it was as funny, <laughs> but I thought it was hilarious because I'm an idiot. I'm, I'm absolutely an idiot. 
All right, we've got a few more position battles here. ADP battles, rather. Um, and they were provided by Sporer. So let's jump right in. Battle of the Shanes. We have Shane McClanahan at pick 99. And we have Shane Boz at pick 126. Play on the same team. They're both awesome. It sucks that you might have to choose uh, between them. But McClanahan, 343 ERA, 20% K-walk minus is just, like, ridiculous. So and near 15% swinging strike rate. He has legitimately four pitches. Uh, and Seamer projects him for 159 innings. Shane Baz also has Baz also has uh, four pitches. Only uses a change of about six percent of the time. Only made three starts. 16 percent swinging strike rate. Watch him against my Yankees. The guy was ridiculous. Lights Just out. Not. I think both these guys are awesome. The difference. Uh, Seamer projects Shane Baz for 136 innings. So you know about 20, 25 less. So who do you like between these at their respective costs? Yeah, and that's that's why I'm going to go with McClanahan. I'm going to pay the premium um, a little bit there. 99 versus 126, not too much. You're drafting these two around the same area. If one of them goes and you pick soon and you really want one, you need to take that guy right there. Uh, you push it any further, you run that risk. Because obviously with averages being 99-126, they go a ton in that different range. But with McClanahan, I do agree with Steamer on, on the more reliable innings count. We know that Tampa Bay doesn't mess around with that stuff in terms of the fact that they will take a guy out for a period of time, put him in the bullpen, uh, park him in AAA, things like that. He's coming off of, uh, Boz is coming off of 70, what was that, 79 innings this year. He had 81 back in 2019. He's only going to be 23. Obviously, 2020 was a total washout. He probably threw some innings at the training site. So I don't think that they're going to ramp him up too crazily. I think McClanahan can eclipse him by 30, 50 innings perhaps um, with, with his season total. So that's why I got to go with him. But I do like Boz. Just plan for 125 innings, but they could be so great that it's worth the price, but you just plan for that. Maybe you take your first reserve starter much earlier because he's a guy that, that you expect to bridge the gap with Boz. Like if you plan for things and you can afford to take these players at their respective price, if you still really like them. Yeah, and maybe you select Boz with a an innings eater in tandem with him. You know, yeah. someone that provides more reliable innings. Someone like Marcus Stroman. We've already mentioned the name, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I think he's going to be you know pretty reliable in terms of his innings. So uh, that's something that can make a lot of sense. I'm still taking Shane McClanahan at his cost. Another one where I wish people weren't as in on him as they are, but like we're all looking at the same things and we all see that it, it seems pretty obvious that Shane McClanahan uh, is going to be pretty awesome. We're going to wrap up here with one more pitcher-related. Justin Verlander at pick 154 versus Clayton Kershaw at 156. So Verlander is going to be 18 months removed from Tommy John surgery when the season begins. Last time we saw him in a full season was 2019. He finished as the number one overall player in 5x5 Roto. Not just like pitcher. The number one overall player. That's how good he was. Uh, Clayton Kershaw, really, really good when he was healthy this past season. But... Where is the health? I think that's something we have to find out more about in the offseason. The Dodgers did not give him the qualifying offer, which is probably going to scare some people away. And yeah, I, I think for good reason. We'll see where he signs. He's a free agent. Talk about the Texas Rangers. I know he's from Texas, so that could make some sense. Mm -hmm. uh, but we'll see ultimately where he winds up. And I'm interested to see where Verlander's ADP goes from here, because I think now that he re-signs with Houston, the fact that he has familiarity there, the fact that they... They are the team that closely watches his rehab. They know how healthy he is. I think Verlander is going to start to shoot up here. So what do you think Absolutely. in between these two? 
Yeah, absolutely, Verlander is who I'm taking, and I totally agree that the price is going to go up. Um, I mean, I'm a huge Justin Verlander fan, uh, being a Detroit Tigers fan, love what he did with Houston. Uh, by the way, this highlight, he kind of shows the risk of of taking Morton, right? It could be a six-inning season. like the, And that can happen with any pitcher. I'm saying the risk of that is higher, um, and the older you get, that you just pop, and, and you have to miss a year. Now he's going to come back. What's he going to be? Based on what we've seen we should expect him to be pretty good. He's a unicorn, right? We talk about certain guys that are unicorns. Justin talks about how Max Scherzer is. Justin Verlander is as well. Now, I understand the unicorn is supposed to be a single entity, but, you know, you get a handful of unicorns in the pitching landscape. Do you want to take on that risk? Um, I think we probably delude ourselves a bit into thinking that the risk that he busts is significantly higher than than the risk that anybody busts. But the truth of the matter is it. The, the difference isn't that high uh, or isn't that much. The fact that he's older is, is why there's that, that enhanced risk. But otherwise I, I think that's, that's fine. I, I'm, I'm getting a discount on Verlander. He can be a top five starter again. So the fact that even when he jumps up, say he jumps up to like pick 110, 100, that's going to put him around uh, pitcher 42, 49, throw in 10 closers. You're talking just outside the top 30. I'm okay with that for Verlander. I'm, I'm, I'm ready to pay that. With Kershaw, um, I'm not completely out on him. I think I'd pay that price. If it starts to go up, I think then I start to start to push away from, from Kershaw at that point. Yeah, I, I could see it happening where if Verlander's healthy and he shows us something in spring training, I mean, oh, yeah. we're talking he shoots all the way up. To like the second round. Yeah, like I'm thinking, yeah, I was just going to say like he's like a top five round player. But yeah, we could see it go like even like even into like the second round, something crazy like that. If he's, you know, if he just looks like Verlander, right? So mm-hmm. I know he threw a showcase recently. He, was at, he had like throwing 97 miles per hour at his fastball. Sounds pretty good. Sounds like uh, yeah. sounds like Justin Verlander. So we'll see. You need to jump in a draft now. If you want Verlander, we're getting him at the cheapest. He is going to go Absolutely. Uh, basically all off season. He probably should have been drafting like two weeks ago, but it's perfectly fine. Let's wrap up here with uh, MLB the show. Obviously, Paul, you know, you do some stuff over on Twitch. We're talking beforehand. I think... This whole kind of generation of Twitch is like really interesting too. It's, you know, some parents might not understand like, why are my kids watching other people playing video games? It's like yeah. this whole weird phenomenon. But like, let's be honest, man, growing up, if you went to your friend's house, like there was one friend that would play the game. There was a bunch of people who sat around and watched that friend play the game. Like that, exactly. that was, that was totally two at most, right? Yeah. Two people are playing, three others are waiting to get next. So you're sitting around watching talking having a good time and, and it's that similar vibe there and you're you're, you're shooting uh the breeze with guys talking baseball things like that so there's people in my community that don't even have a playstation or mlb the show like they they're just there to hang out and talk baseball because it's a cool place to hang out and just uh you know talk sports yep uh so look say say i'm just buying MLB the show today what, what do i need to know how do i get better because i feel like that's kind of where i'm at i will tell you the settings that I play with, there's going to be some people who, who are listening to this who are like, what are you talking about? I don't, don't care. Don't worry what yeah. they don't yeah. worry what they say. You, you <laughs> customize it to what you like best. Um, my current settings. Hitting view is strike zone two. Don't okay. know if that's good or not. I'm that's pure good. I'm pure analog. I'm going with the flick. Okay. My PCI is off. I can't look, dude. I can't that's fine. I can't do the PCI thing. Like I'm trying to I'm trying to focus on moving if it. It distracts you. Yeah then that's that's a problem but you st- are you still you're still moving it though right uh well or- 
when if I you turn it off, I think it, it's still if it's invisible. Or did you you're saying you don't use PCI, or you just turned off the visual of it? I turned it off. I think. Okay, if you turned it off, off then um, I, I don't know about pure analog hitting to be honest. But I, I can tell you the number one thing: you can okay. finish your settings. But how patient are you? Do you take pitches? I'm getting better. You, that's that's the key. That's the key. You have to take pitches. And I know you know nobody wants to sit down and play a video game to take walks. Actually, there's a lot of fun in taking walks. I don't take a ton. <laughs> so when I when I'm patient enough to not swing at everything, I'm like, yes. Uh, but the best players are super patient. They don't always take a ton of walks, but they wait for their pitch. Right. You feel pretty confident that you'll get a fastball in every at bat. Uh, because the off-speed stuff is just not that effective. Like you got to bring some heaters. So if you're waiting for your heater, you got to be getting deep into the counts though. If you're if you're rolling over two pitches in every time, people are going to make quick work of you. The confidence in their pitcher is going to get better. So they're only going to kind of have a perpetual state of getting better against you. Mm. And you're in for it big time at trying to scratch out a couple of hits and maybe call a run or two across. So what are your what what settings do you use when when you're? So I have strike zone. Um, I use analog hitting. Um, where I move the PCI and, and then press the button, and then um, I use the analog pitching. That's not uh, it's not analog hitting. That's not what that's called because that's what's what you use. I'm an idiot. Um, but whatever the PCI one is called, sweet. I don't even know the name of it. Uh, <laughs> yes. I've had my I've had the same settings for so many years that I forget. But then I'm not using the new pitching, which I I I know I should be because pinpoint is better. It, it, they said it's proven it's better. If you master that between all three, if you mastered all three, you will get better results with pinpoint. Um, so that stands to reason that if you're, you know, at 70% on something and 70% on pinpoint, whatever, whatever it is, there's an advantage to being better there. I just need to take it under because I've, I've been afraid of it. Uh, but yeah, as far as pitching too, you have to try to pitch like an actual pitcher. You have to try to set guys up, keep them off balance don't throw obvious 2-0 fastballs all the time. They're waiting for one. They're expecting one. Sometimes you will throw them, but you gotta, you're got you battling your guy. It's, it's, it's chess every at-bat. That's what's so fun about playing other people, too, is trying to get in their head and, and predict their pitches and predict where they're, where they're thinking you're going to pitch it. Yeah, for sure. So do you use the meter when you're pitching? I use the analog. Um, so I bring the stick down and then flick it up. Okay, but the pinpoints, the new one where you make, and that's what you, we and I, you and I should have an advantage there as Xbox guys, because the 2K, basically, that's what you had to do. You had to like make a shape right. with the analog to throw the pitch. They brought that in this year called pinpoint pitching, and they made it the best one there is. But I've been, I've been too lazy to take the time to learn it. So I get impatient every time I start sucking and I go <laughs> right back to my comfort zone. Yeah. I think that I should probably try it out too, right? If you're saying that it kind of lends itself to, to the Xbox player. So I didn't even try. I just whatever. Exactly. It, I think it's started on the meter so i was like all right i'll just i'll yeah, learn how to pitch with this so meter's all right like uh, meter and analog are fine but they have said explicitly san diego studios that you if you're better at pinpoint it will give you better results like it, it when you achieve the highest it delivers better than the other ones on purpose because there is a higher threshold of, of skill all right. Well, for anyone who plays MLB The Show, I hope that helped you out a little bit. Uh, if you're still listening and you don't play MLB The Show, you probably are con extremely confused and you have no idea what's going on, but I appreciate you uh, for sticking around regardless. If you want to watch Spore beat some people in MLB The Show, you can do that on twitch.tv slash Spore. And uh, getting back to fantasy baseball-related items, obviously you can find all of his work over at Fangraphs.com. You can listen to the Sleeper and the Bus podcast. Follow him on Twitter at Spore. That's S-P-O-R-E-R. -E Paul, I appreciate you coming on, man. This was a lot of fun. I kept you long. It's pretty late here, uh, but I do appreciate it. Thanks, man.
Thanks so much for having me on, Frank. I had a blast and I talked too much. That's why I went long. So don't worry about that. I appreciate you sticking with me. No, no. Look, I'm famous at this point for I make like two hour rundowns for, you know, podcasts that we're supposed to keep under an hour. And, and we, I don't know. we would have like three hour pods easily. <laughs> I feel like you and I would just get going back. OK, well, it's been three and a half hours. We should probably wrap this up. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, once again, appreciate you coming on. Uh, everyone, go follow him on Twitter. For Paul, I am Frank. Thank you all for listening and watching Fantasy Baseball today. Happy Thanksgiving to everybody out there. Have a happy and healthy holiday, and we will talk to you again next Tuesday. Bye-bye. From the world of Sonic the Hedgehog, a new hero arrives. I am ready. Is there anyone stronger? No. Ha! Tougher? No. Funnier? I do not make jokes. I make warriors. Knuckles. Now streaming only on Paramount+. Plus. Yes!